Hello. Hi, we're Facebook Live. We're live on Zoom as well. And this is God Shots, the mental health podcast with Darlene Sperlaza. Hi, good evening, everybody. Well, I should say it's good evening here on the East Coast. We're at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's nice for everybody to be joining us tonight. And we have a special guest with us this evening, and her name is Carrie Patrick. And Carrie comes to us from Weirton, West Virginia. I've known Carrie for a few years now, and this young woman has an amazing story that she's going to share a little bit with us tonight. And I'm super excited to share Carrie with you because she's been in a lot of places in her life. And I just think that a lot of people that listen to our podcast also just, um, have a lot of different variables in their life to get to the part where they're at, where they can talk about God shots. And so without further ado, hi, Carrie, and welcome to God shots. Hello. Hi, hi. there. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me. It's, it's our pleasure to have you, Carrie. And you know what? I would like to start off, if you could just tell our audience a little bit about your background of kind of like what it was like for you when you were growing up and then we'll get to the God shot part. How about that? Sounds like a plan. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up, um, I was born in, in 1980 and, um, you know, my parents, um, they, they, they tried their best and sometimes things were good. And sometimes things were, were uh, very chaotic. Um, I was born in Ohio and then, um, didn't live there long. And we moved to very, very remote West Virginia, um, Doddridge County, West Virginia, you know, very poor, very country. Um, it was actually my great grandparents property and they had been passed away for a very long time. And, um, you know, my, uh, my dad was a pot farmer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <all of that. laughs> yes. Um, and, and he had a great plan, um, you know, and it was, you know, we, we lived in poverty there, but it was really by choice. Um, he had a plan. He, you know, we were going to, we were going to live in this very old um, farmhouse. It didn't have any running water. It had no bathroom. Um, and he was gonna, you know, grow a bunch of marijuana and, uh, you know, build a house and and start life down there. And um, they, that plan, you know, didn't didn't produce any fruit. Um, literally, I mean, the fruit that it produced landed him in a lot of trouble, actually. And so, you know, I, I had a, I have a younger brother, and we didn't really know the difference. And we're outside playing and. You know, besides all of this, you know, this, this place was beautiful that, that we lived. Um, it really instilled in me a love of nature and it was, you know, some of the best days of my childhood. Um, and we were outside playing and there's this helicopter and we were so excited. We were like, wow, you know, it's, it's landing <laughs> and it did. And there were, there were West Virginia state troopers in that helicopter and they wanted to know what was going on here oh my god yeah um and that really started like a trajectory of 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 mass chaos in everybody's life and 
um, you know, we moved back to Ohio and, and somehow my, my parents were able to, to stay out of prison because back in the 80s, you know, it, it's not like today, um, you know, people that were growing marijuana were treated, you know, like, like hard criminals. And um, it, it was a lot different then. And um, so we moved back to Ohio because my dad worked up here in the steel mill. Um, but it was, it was, it was a bumpy ride after that. And, you know, looking back, um, there, there were some good times. And right after we moved to Ohio, things were um, okay for a little while. Um, but I would say more often than not, you know, things were, um, <clears throat> th things were not okay. You know, uh, my dad really, um, you know, he, he wanted to be sober in his life and um, just was really not able to stay on the beam. And I can look back now and go, okay, those, those time, those good times that my family had were, were when he was putting effort into um, improving himself and um, being sober. But other than that, there was a lot of domestic violence. There was, you know, all the things that, that, wow. you know, come along with drug abuse. Um, Harry, may I ask you, first of all, what, what year was this? And how old were you when the helicopter, when the state troopers arrived? Probably 1986. Okay, you were six years old. Mm -hmm. And was your dad selling these drugs to the cartels or was he smuggling them or how he just sold them? Was that the problem? No. <laughs> um, he, he, he sold it. He, um, you know, he, um, I, I don't. You know, no. Yeah. There were a lot of people around. I, you know, I don't really know who they were, but I think it was pretty small town. Um, yeah. 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 And that's one of the reasons why um, I find Carrie's story so fascinating for our audience and people that are listening to about Godshots. Because, you know, sometimes it's really nice when we sit here and we talk about Godshots and we're like the angelic choir, ah, you know, and it's like all heavenly. But, you know, sometimes we are not in that spot. You know, we may have some people listening that are in a very difficult spot. Like she said, de de uh, abuse, domestic violence, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And you're just kind of like, how do I get out? Or, you know, like, you know that you're stuck, but you don't know what to do. And so in listening to Carrie at such a tender age, like she really did not know anything different. It was kind of like born and raised and bred in the chaos, as she was wow. saying, like and Ozark. Find, Ozark. yes, exactly. And I find it fascinating that maybe she didn't find the higher power, the higher power found her. Well, I can't and wait to hear the rest of this, but this you know, exactly you're, you're at all. All of us have come from really chaotic, you know, that's the journey. You know, the people who need the help the most are the ones that seek it. So yes, that's what this show is about anyway. So anyhow, Carrie, so go ahead and just tell us a little bit about how you got to that turning point where you stood there and you were like at the turning point. You had to make decisions about the rest of your life. So, um, you know, I, uh, you know, first of all, I came, I came across this story in the Bible and it's in the Old Testament and I, and I don't know what, what book or anything it was in, but it was really interesting. Um, and it was about a guy who was building this 
big wall, like maybe around a town or something. And he died and his son picked up where he left off and continued building the wall. So, um, you know, I, um, I guess my, my perspective of the way that I grew up is, is in flux all the time and, and things come up that kind of change the way that I look at things. And, um, you know, cause I, uh, I have had periods of time where I've been really resentful at the way that I was raised and, but that kind of changed things a little bit for me coming across that story going, you know, I saw my dad not be able to stay on the beam, but I learned from him that that's how you get sober. Cause I followed right in his footsteps wow. and, um, you know, but I had, you know, I, I saw him, I saw him try. And so I kind of picked up there and went, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing a shot. And so, you know, I was, um, I was about 30 years old when, when I started thinking about and considering, you know, maybe there's more to life than, than just partying all the time. <laughs> um, but I didn't know anybody sober, uh, so I wasn't sure if there was more to life than that, but I figured may maybe there was. And at 35, I went into treatment um, and, you know, uh, and that that's, um, I think I was 35, I, mean, I don't know, maybe 37. And that's, um, I still didn't get sober actually. Um, not for a couple of more years, but I started to get sober and I started quitting things. and. Um, things started to get a little bit better, um, but I still had this just gaping hole in my, in my soul and I couldn't figure it out. And I'm going, you know, I've quit all these things. I've cleaned my life up and I still feel pretty, pretty rotten. And everybody around me is kind of looking at me going, I had gained a little bit of weight. So physically I was a little bit better. Um, but mentally I was really struggling um you know spiritually I was very very immature um so um you know so I I decided to that I was going to take this recovery thing seriously and I was going to um stop assuming that I knew about recovery because I knew about addiction mm. good point yeah, they're, they're not the same thing. And I did, I didn't know anything about recovery by default. Um, but I, but I thought that I did and, um, couldn't figure out why I wasn't feeling better after quitting all these things. And, you know, um, I've, I've learned in my journey that, you know, it's the drugs and the alcohol were a symptom and my thinking, um, you know, is, is, is the problem. Um, so let's, yeah. let's stop for one minute. I like that, that, and, and, and Lydia, I think that you, you have a really good grasp on this, but when you talk about drinking and drugging was but a symptom of the way that you were thinking, Lydia, I know that you figured that out. Yeah. The ism it's, it's alcoholism. It's not the alcohol. It's the ism. The ism is that hole in our heart, that loneliness, that gaping deep wounded hole in our heart that a lot of us have and half the world has it mm -hmm. and it can't be filled with anything but the spiritual 
with something else. You can't, you can't fight fire with fire. You can't keep filling it with more drugs or alcohol. There's no pill you can take. To, it's a Band-Aid approach that way. You have to fill it with joy, love, humor, all the qualities that are invisible and spiritual, I call it. Exactly. So, so until you can do that part, just quitting the drink isn't going to help you. A lot of alcoholics go, oh, I'll just quit drinking. It's not about that. It's really about the other, that gaping, wounded loneliness that we, that isolation. Absolutely. Very well said. And so Carrie, with that, then, so you noticed that you had this gaping hole and how did you determine what was the next steps? How did that happen for you? Well, um, you know, I've had a lot of help and support and, um, you know, I did, uh, enter a 12 step program. Um, and that has been the key, um, that, you know, has, uh, really opened up a lot of doors. Um, and, you know, in, in that, um, you know, in, in that step work, um, was, was trying to figure out and, and trying to like formulate um, my own conception of God. Um, and, you know, looking back and, uh, you know, the blessed mother has always been with me. Um, I had been like back in like 2004, when my own daughter was born, I was 23 years old when I had my first child. And, um, you know, I became the Pope died. And I didn't know anything about Catholicism. Nobody in my family was Catholic. And um, I remember the Pope dying and it was all on TV. And I was just like mesmerized by this. And then, you know, I, um, I, I didn't really follow that path though. And then, um, you know, I went to my dad's grave one day and there's a rosary on it. And I'm like, man, uh, you know, she, she's been, she's been very patient waiting for me for years and years and years. And, you know, I went and spent a little time at, you know, and now looking back, like, uh, there there's, I've definitely had some Catholic tendencies throughout my life, but when I first got sober, you know, I, I thought, um, okay, like, um, should I choose a religion or like, should I just keep like within this general spirituality? Mm -hmm. And you know, I was just learning to like be open to God's will. And so I just decided to do that, stay open. And I opened this book one day that I had been reading for years and had really helped me along the way. And it was called the Tibetan book of living and dying. Mm. And I opened it and it said, choose a religion and follow it until you die. And I was like, wow, well now <laughs> that's that's, um, you know, pretty, pretty clear and, um, decided to stay open after that and was, <laughs> was really kind of hoping that, you know, uh, I didn't have to be a Christian cause that's not super cool nowadays, and, <laughs> but I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna stay open to, to whatever God's will was for me. And, you know, I was, um, I was helping a lady one day and she said, um, you know, I had a dream about you. And I said, what was the dream? And she said, 
Well, you were, um, you were at the end of my bed and you had this dark darkness across your eyes. And I was in a dark place at that time. And it was right around Christmas. And she said, and, and she stopped and she said, and you need to pray to the blessed mother because you need your mother. I was like, wow, <laughs> like this is, you know, th things are getting, getting clearer and, and kind of pointing me this way and, and, and that way. Um, and I really felt like for days I felt embraced. I felt like I was in like a bubble or bloating or I felt, um, yeah, embraced. Um, so your, yeah. Your mother's arms, right? The mother. The mother. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, one um, thing I would like to add, because I think it just, it just dawned on me that I didn't say this. For everybody listening, Carrie is a registered nurse. So she has an educational background in medicine. Um, so it's just not all about religion and slowly but surely getting guided in a direction that was right for you. Um, and I, I find that fascinating that you were in no hurry to yeah. pick or choose or to create or say, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. And in fact, you didn't even think you wanted to be a Christian. <laughs> I find that funny. And it just kept coming your direction. And Lydia, I don't know about you, but I find that when I let go, let go seriously of everything and let God, the answers just start coming. They may not be the answers I want to come, yeah. but the answers come. Do you agree? Each person is unique because religion is actually there are 44,000 different denominations of Christianity and there are 90 other religions. So religion is a very personal style choice. It's not style over substance. It's simply what is the most comfortable and what beckons you. And for some people, it isn't at all uh, a religion, but it's this over generally the feeling that inside you is this kingdom of heaven or the power is within each of us. The spirits in all of us, basically. And to me, um, you can even, I can even prove it through quantum physics. You know, that the microscope, the closer you look at matter, the more it disappears. So there's very interesting things I want to explore on this topic. But anyway, you, you felt called by this religion, by, you, by the religion of Catholicism or mm -hmm. Christianity, right? So let's mm -hmm. hear more. I'd love to hear your journey. So, um, you know, I, I uh, was kind of... Um, you know, going, oh, what are, what are people going to think? Um, Cause Mary, Mary is getting clearer and clearer in my life. And I know Mary, Mary is, is in the Catholic church. Um, so I, uh, I was hiking with my friend. Um, we live right on the border of Pennsylvania and there's a, there's a state park, it's called Raccoon Creek State Park, and there's a mineral spring there. And it was in the wintertime and it was really cold and snowing. I don't really like the cold or like to go anywhere in the cold. My friend had invited me out for a hike. It was just the short one. Um, and we were, we go into like, it, it's like a cave. It's like a big rock formation. Um, and I was actually telling her the, the story that I, that I just shared with you all. And, you know, we're sitting there in this beautiful, um, you know, it, in the rocks. And as I'm telling her this story about Mary, I keep looking over my shoulder and I'm like, 
And there's all these ice formations that um, have come up off of the rock from the water dripping down from the top. And, and I'm like, do you, do you see this behind me? And she was like, yeah, it's amazing. And I said, doesn't it look like a hundred little Marys over there? <laughs> she, it, it really does. It really does. Um, and so I actually, uh, you know, I want, I wanted to, to just deny that this was, was happening and really not acknowledge it, but I had, um, you know, I had, I had shared this with Darlene that this was happening and she was like, you know, don't pay attention to that. Like, don't let go of that. And, um, here's some more to read and here's some things to watch, which is Mary TV, which was really, really profound. Um, and, you know, I read a book called Under the Mantle and um, by Father Donald Calloway. And, you know, he, he's a priest, but he's, you know, lived life in, in, in the fast lane um, prior to becoming a priest. And after reading his story, I was like, you know, I, I, I think it's time to like, I think it's time to take this a little further and, and there he is in the church. So I'm going to, I'm going to pursue that. Wow. You were definitely given um, guidance. And mm -hmm. it's so cool when that happens. There are Zen Buddhists who also feel, you know, there's all sorts of, what I love about recovery though, is that we're all, we all hear through the, to me, it's God in the flesh. Everyone's speaking to each other to help each other. And that to me is the practical application of the spiritual principles, which a lot of religions don't think about how can we do something here now? It's more about after death. A lot of religion is focused on life after death or, you know, paying for your sins and all this. But I love the practical application of recovery principles right here and now and applying those. You mm -hmm. know? So how, was your first couple of years rough in sobriety once you found this or was this the key? This beautiful spiritual awakening when you found Mary and your your. <clears throat> So I am three years sober and, you know, I think I was five or six months sober when COVID happened, you know, and that's been really, I mean, that was a really hard time for everybody. Um, so yes, it was, yeah, the first couple of years were, were tough. Um, but those spiritual experiences are like, what, what keep me going? Um, yeah, they give me a lot of energy and joy and enthusiasm and, um, you know, and I know when I'm in a low spot nowadays that it's going, it's going to pass and that, you know, usually it's a spiritual experience that pulls me out of that. So it gives me something to look forward to. Oh, I like how you say that, that a spiritual experience gives you something to look forward to. Mm -hmm. You know, I was sharing with Lydia before we started doing this, and both of you know on this call that my father passed on March um, the 16th. So it's really fresh, and but I've been seeing the God shots in that, and those are the things that keep at least me going right now, knowing 
that there's something way deeper, way more that goes on in life than just what we can see up close and personal. There's there's all kinds of things in the background. And here's just one little snippet um, of something that happened at my house that I thought was amazing. So, you know, we had the viewings on Sunday and we had one in the afternoon, then that three hour break, and then one coming back into the evening, right? And so I had um, a lot of friends and family that were coming to my house and all the food was here and everything like that. And when we got here, I recognized a gift that my father had given me with his death. And it was two-parted. Number one, for those of you that watch our podcast on a regular basis, have heard me talk before that I was 18 months estranged from my oldest son. And he was in my kitchen. And it was like my whole, that whole family was here. My grandchildren, my daughter-in-law, him. And he came up to the grocery store and hugged you from behind. That blew my mind. Yes. Yes. And so the initial meeting wasn't even awkward because it happened in the middle of a grocery store. And it was unbeknownst to me that that was going to happen. So it's always those moments unbeknownst to us that are just gifts. But the second part of what happened in my house was my cousins were all here. And there had been, and as all family dynamics happen, things happen throughout the years and people kind of drift apart or quit talking for whatever reason, or there's just chaos or whatever it may be. And my cousins were here, all of them. And the two girls looked at each other and said, this is the first time we've been in the same room in 40 years. And everybody hugged. I have pictures with everybody that was not possible until the passing of my father. So as tragic and terrible as that event is, like as it seems, I look at the other side of that, Carrie, and like what you're saying with the God shots and the good things that come and being led by God. And so there's always, and I'm sure Lydia, that you, you and Carrie both know this. There's always times in your life when you sit back and you're just amazed at something that happens. And Carrie, I just happened to know one of your stories that I would like for you to share with our viewers. It's actually funny. I think it's hysterical, but your car, I want you to tell us about your car. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, so I have been driving the same car for 12 years now. And, uh, you know, it, it has seen better days. It has served me well. And um, it has 172,000 miles on it. And I need to retire this car. Um, so last summer, um, not only was my car breaking down, I just <clears throat> felt that uh, I needed to... I needed to take some steps to improve my financial literacy. Um, I work part-time, you know, my, my youngest daughter is, is only six. Um, so I figured I, you know, I, I need to be a better steward of the resources that I have. And I, um, I started reading a book that, that I, I had, I had read a long time ago by an author named Dave, Dave Ramsey. And some, some people really like him and some people really don't, but, uh, he's been really, really helpful to me over the years. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing that again. And, um, you know, he had, he has some spiritual values built into his writing and, um, you know, I, I vividly remember reading, 
um, like about practicing some discipline and doing the right thing. And, 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 you know, God will help you out. And, and that certainly is what happened. So I, um, I worked a little extra and I, I saved up some money and, um, I had like moved that money over to another bank to just kind of trick myself so I won't spend it. And, uh, I looked in my bank account and there's 12,000 extra dollars in there. And I went, wow, ah, uh, what, wonder where that came from, you know, but, but I already knew even before investigating that that certainly is, is a gift from my higher power. Um, and, um, I'm just so grateful for it. So I did one third of the work and then God came in and did two thirds of the work. Um, and wait a minute, and, are you saying that it just grew or did you have an investment going on there? So it was actually a little windfall that just appeared. <laughs> um, and it's 12,000, the same number that came to me when I was newly sober and I got this windfall of $12,000. Oh, get out of here. No, no, it's such a, it's a, I'll tell that story later, but go ahead, tell the rest of your story. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> So, you know, I, I thought at first, like, uh, well, it makes sense to just like go buy a car, but like, I can't make up my mind. And, you know, I've been taught that when I don't know what to do, just don't do anything. And like during that time when I started um, like reading and, and trying to trying to kind of get on track with with my cash, I talked to a financial guy that was recommended to me from somebody that I that I really like. And I was like, maybe, maybe before I just go spend all this money, maybe I should talk to him again. So I've recently had a call with him and, and I'm like, I'm just gonna, just gonna hold back. So, um, yeah, that's the rest of the story. And I can't wait to hear about your $12,000 also. Well, I want to hear, see, I don't know. I, I believe in magic. I'm on a magic carpet ride. And I got yesterday in a meeting first thing in the morning, because I'm thinking I was in the worst mood the night before I was full of anxiety. I had this amazing God shot two weeks ago when we did our last show, Darlene, when my son called me, yep. whom I yep. thought I was estranged from, and he called, we talked for an hour. All this good news is happening with him after the show we, we recorded two weeks ago. And I just felt that he was going to call that day because it was this, I had this trust. I hadn't felt so completely trusting of my higher power, which I call God you know, I, I tend to go to the non-religious aspect so we can welcome more people in, but either way. And, and then I remembered all these wonderful, magical things that happened to me, what I call God shots. They're coincidences that are so uncanny. They cannot just be random. There's no, and even Carl Jung tried to prove this mathematically. And Einstein, they talk about random coincidence or is it meaningful, a causal coincidence with a cause. And I know, and then you know, Einstein's famous line, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. So whatever you believe out there, there is the invisible harmony in the universe that is making everything grow and bloom and blossom. And you can call it what you want, but it's the life force, it's love. It's really love, the creative energy. So when I really was in the most dire straits at one point in the beginning of sobriety, 
I had really had some reckless damage. You know, I call it surrender, wreckage, recovery. But the wreckage part was the part that I was going through at the time. And I just had this new surrender and I was newly sober and I had a brand new baby. And I needed $12,000 to pay an old tax debt. And they were about to put a lien on my bank account. And out of the blue, I, I surrendered. I said, well, prayer works for everything else. It worked for sobriety. It worked to meet a man, believe it or not. I got on my knees and I said, I'm surrendering my financial insecurity and my pain over this, this terror over my bank account. And literally the next day, I got a letter from the state of California saying, there's $12,000 we found in an old bank account, but you need to prove that your name is Natasha. Your middle name is Natasha. And that's a fake name I like to use because I love the Bullwinkle Natasha cartoon. You're too young to even know that cartoon, Carrie, but it was this Bullwinkle cartoon with Boris and Natasha. And I, I used to put Lydia Natasha Kornilova on all my things. My, you know, I'd sign statements like that before I became Lydia Cornell. And I put it on this old bank account in the 80s. And then I thought, well, how am I going to prove that's a legal name? And sure enough, this is really weird. I had used that bizarre name, Natasha, on my child's birth certificate, official birth certificate. Wow. I did there for some weird reason. And all I did was prove it. I had that birth certificate, sent my passport and my license, and they sent me the $12,000. So it's kind of weird. No. That is. See, yeah. I, think, I think that hearing those kind of stories and I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking, what if I was listening to this for the first time? And one of the things I think Carrie brings to the table is just the humanness, yeah. the humanness of just saying, this is how I was raised. This was pretty bad. I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. I didn't have anybody teaching me really anything, but yet I was guided and I was carried and I was protected. And when the time came, I was taught. Now, I think people that people can use all kinds of it. Like you said, the, the Buddhist, um, the Jewish people, the, the people that are agnostic at best, everybody has some form of higher power, you know? And I think if you just set back and just believe that the universe has you, As it does, it does you know, and it will. It's just, I think that sometimes, and Carrie, I just think that you portray that beautifully because this has not been an easy journey for you. And so you take a step and you're like a little child. You just stood there like, okay, am I safe? Am I not safe? What am I seeing? What do I do? Okay, let me read this book. Let me look at this. Let me try this. And just one step at a time, everything has unfolded for your path whatever your path is and everybody's That's paths are different, right? Sounds like she got out of her way and she allowed herself to be guided. It's simpler than you think. It's the easier, softer way is to simply stop fighting everything. You know how people worry and they strive so hard to make something happen. Don't make it happen. Let go and surrender. And the things that meant for you will happen. Like you were guided to certain books. You asked yeah. questions. You didn't, you realize your upbringing was very chaotic. You know, your father ran a pot farm in the times when it was illegal. I mean, that's amazing that you came from that to this. Yeah. You got your nursing degree. Yes. And you got yeah. married with kids? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now kids. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And I think the amazing part of that is um, now that you've had your own children and you've been able to break the cycle of what you experienced, 
And I guess, I guess what I'm saying to anybody that's listening is you're not stuck. There were certain times that I would just feel stuck. Like I'm going to be like this forever. I'm going to have to put up with this forever and not so, not so every day is a new day. Every hour can be a new beginning. Um, we don't have to stay exactly where we think we have to stay. Right. And in the seat of everything bad is something good. That's the one thing, Darlene, you know, I'm so sorry about your father's passing. We talked on the phone about it and I couldn't believe it happened after he fell. Yeah. Yes. Bless you. But you've been through so much this year and, and, and then my parents died the year before, but it's still life is in session and we can't, we're in the moment. We're in this day. What can, what good can we do today with this hour we have, you know, or this moment we have, that's about all we have dwelling in the past and dwelling in, and, you know, regretting the past and fearing the future are, are one way to stay out of all progress. So, exactly. Exactly. And I think that saying goes something like, if you stay in the past, it causes depression. If you get into the future, it causes anxiety. That's why they call today a present and we should stay here and open the gift. Yeah. Just let it happen. Nobody could have told me that my father, and even though he was elderly, he was 90. All right. But there's different types of 90s. My dad weighed 175. He cut his own grass. He drove. He did his own thing. And when he fell on Christmas Eve, it was just a decline from there on. And could have anybody told me when I was dressing in my bathroom for the Christmas Eve party that I was having at my house at 530 that my father was going to call or fall. I was going to get that phone call. I was going to be at the hospital on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Miss all of those festivities completely. Like who would have figured that? I had like 35 to 40 people scheduled at my house that night. So that's when life happens. And it's how we react to it that's going to make the difference. And I can tell you that being, um, being aware, being alert, being sober enabled me to be present for my father and my family and to be able to sit here today without regret because I was able to do everything that I could do. And how have I been drinking? Because drinking makes me very selfish. I would not have been able to be present at all. And Carrie, I think with what you're talking about, you went from being a very abused child, which is always like our, our child of origin stuff triggers us, right? And into a person that started realizing, I don't want to be like this. And you allowed that to, to come into your life. Was it easy? No, but you permitted that. And um I think it's pretty fat, fabulous. Craving to drink has been removed, or do you have? Has it? Okay, that's the spiritual part. That's the important part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, it, it's gone. I recently quit um, nicotine, and it kind of swell. It's been a year now, and that is a difficult craving to. Yeah. get rid of but it kind of reminded me and it's Lent right now so and it seems like every every Lent season you know I'm giving something up I'm sacrificing something and it reminds me that that is really difficult to do it's really difficult to overcome any type of craving I believe for me anyway 
and, and all that social media it's being liked being approved of all that weird stuff we do as women to try to be cute you know and make our butt smaller and all that but <laughs> and i remember when i quit smoking my first year of sobriety um it was after i found my brother's body he died my first year of sobriety of a drug overdose and i just made a vow in a meeting craig shoemaker um was the comedian i went to see that night and he'll remember this story and then i decided to quit smoking that night and i went to a meeting afterwards and i shared i'm going to quit because of my brother's death but the, several days after that to detoxing i gave the finger in public to people to a woman <laughs> across this bookstore i was giving it to my friend because he was annoying me because he was i couldn't find him and i gave the finger and this church lady that was from a church i'd gone to with the kids earlier uh, I mean, with my brother and sister earlier, turned around and went, what? <laughs> it was like, you couldn't write a funnier Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skit. It was like, I was the biggest asshole for a few days. <laughs> yes. The variety yes. Well, was pretty, you know? So, well, I can, I can tell you with my cigarette story, I, I mean, maybe it was just the generation I grew up in, but cigarette smoking was pretty popular and I wanted to be one of the popular people. So I did it right. And it became like a 25 year addiction that I, that I smoked. But when I finally quit and, and Carrie, you mentioned Lent, um, the first, this was a three-year process for me, you know, like every Lent I was like told, I was listening to something, tell me to give up cigarettes. And I'd be like, no, I'm going to do this. or I'm going to do that. Well, year three, um, this is just crazy I heard it again that little voice in my head that was like you need to quit smoking and I'm like look I'm done with this I'm not going to quit smoking so therefore this is boring me now at year three so I'm just not going to do anything <laughs> and I just thought I walked I walked out of there and I thought okay I'm not doing anything for Lent well that lasted for maybe a week and then I woke up with a stiff neck and you know, I, I couldn't move my neck and a friend of mine checked it and said, you need to see your doctor because you've got a hot node. So I went to my doctor and I had one hot lymph node in the back of my neck, which just means it was swollen. And so he puts me on a 10 day course of a very strong antibiotic. I go back into this doctor. He checks me again. He's like, well, this didn't go away. He's like, so you're a nurse practitioner. He goes, what would your next step be? And I sat on that table and I'm looking at this doctor friend of mine. And I said, well, I would get a chest x-ray. He goes, why would you do that? And I said, because this is indicative of lung cancer. And he's like, that's correct. And he goes, I'm going to give you a slip for an x-ray. So I said, no, no, no. And I'll never forget this. It was April 19th at 9.15 AM in 2009. That's how serious this was to me. I can remember the date. And he had an x-ray machine in his office. And I said, I want you to do this. And he came back to x-ray me. And he, after he did that, I'm standing alone in the x-ray room. I could have read my report, but I didn't look at it. And I just remember hearing a voice from the corner of the room, very kind, but very firm say, I told you to quit now quit. I felt like my knees were going to buckle. And that was the last cigarette I had in my life was before I got to that doctor's office, because I knew whoever said that to me was not joking. Time's up. It's time to quit. I've never had a cigarette since. And it's funny because the doctor called me about four months later and he said, are you still not smoking? I said, I will never smoke again. I <laughs> said, you have no idea how I felt in that x-ray room. I said, that was, I called it a come to Jesus meeting. And he said to me, he goes, tell me the story again. So I did. 
he goes, well, I'm going to go back there and set. He goes, because I need some advice. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, it touches people, you know, but if you're open to these things, you know, I've heard the voice. I mean, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not schizophrenic. I don't go around hearing voices, but I mean, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard the voice talk to me. I've been led and guided just as Carrie is saying, and it, and I agree, Carrie, I think it's a fun magic carpet ride, if you will, Lydia, it's, it's awesome. Fun. If you look at this, life as an adventure. And if you also give, go for the positive. I wrote something down the other day. What was it? Look for the benefit, give everything the benefit of the doubt and start, oh, let me find it. I'll look it up. But anyway, um, if you just try to, to see that you can create magic if you start to look for the good if you seek the good it's like a it's like a uh, a game almost instead of going to the default of being depressed or or panicking or paranoid or thinking the worst of everybody that's too easy the the, the fun is actually created because you create your own reality by your your thoughts and yeah, that's yeah. kind of what it says in many parts of the bible Think on these things, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, true, you know, beautiful and good. Think on these things. Even in Krishnamurti said that. It's like, it's in every religion. And the golden rule, by the way, is in every religion too. That's true. That's true. It is. Yes. So good creates it and propagates itself. So I look for the, you know, I had this magical thing with a butterfly and a peacock when my husband left and my marriage crumbled and I felt like I was living in a haunted house and I thought, I'm losing my stepson. I'll never see him again. I was so, I was grieving. And out of the blue, I had this bizarre experience with a butterfly. I didn't believe in anything like that. And I never looked up, but I went and sat under a fig tree we had in our front yard. And I never noticed we had a fig tree. That's how unconscious I was in that marriage and raising little boys. And I was sober here. So a lot of my growth happened after sobriety. But it's levels of growing, falling up. And I looked up and I saw this fig tree. It didn't have any figs on it. But by the end of that year, it was full of figs. My life had come to fruition. Mm. The fruit had, was, you know, the tree bore fruit. Because I went through so many changes that year, through a very dark hallway. And I started waking up, second big wake up of my life. And I started looking for beauty. And a butterfly literally circled my head. And a butterfly represents... A spiritual plastic surgery, if you think about it, mm -hmm. out of this cocoon, it's, it's, it's pushing itself out and it's ugly. And then it becomes this beautiful winged creature with this calligraphy. Who could design something that beautiful? And these two, actually two butterflies were like circling my head that day and they snapped me out of my grief. And I began chasing butterflies. And then I had an adventure that a month later, helping autistic children at a fundraiser in Del Mar, and they gave me a gift to go to the San Diego Zoo. And I was delighted all day long. And that day I had so many magical coincidences. And it, I realized a lesson that the universe is interactive. It wants playmates. Mm -hmm. It wants to go off for us, but we're never present enough to appreciate anything. We're, we're, you know, we're either in the future or in the past, but if you're here now and you're looking around enjoying life, enjoying this moment, Enjoying a conversation, a cup of coffee, a baby's face, a laugh, a prayer, truly paying attention to someone you love. That's the present moment where all the time expands. And 
I learned that in a really amazing way. I went, oh my God, the universe will give me anything I want. It gave me what I wanted that day. Somewhere, something I really wanted to see was a monarch butterfly. And a monarch butterfly, I'd never seen one in person. And it was waiting for me when I got home on a rose. And I went, and that's all I wanted to see. And it stayed there waiting for me. And I thought, if that's all I wanted, imagine if I thought bigger, you know? And so I started having fun with this, playing with, with my thoughts so that I could see the good in people. And the more I see the good in someone, the more they rise to the occasion. It meets my expectations. It's really interesting. Also disease vanishes sometimes when I'm not yeah. the bad, you know? Mm -hmm. I love recovery because we dwell on the good so much that we're not even thinking of our alcoholic addiction anymore. And it seems to vanish, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it does. So Carrie, now tell me, I know that you just recently had an experience that we talked about um, in working the steps. And, and, you know, for those that are familiar, when you have to make amends to somebody. And there's some people that sometimes you just can't find, you just can't do it. Maybe you just don't want to do it. And it all happens in God's timing. And I know that that happened recently for you. And can you share that with us? Sure. Not names, but just the gist of it. Yeah, sure. I, um, <clears throat> there was a, um, a company that I worked for off and on for many years and they were always, they were always good to me. Um, and I was in the, in, in the throes of, of my addiction. I was in really poor condition all the way around. And I left there in a state of disgrace, you know, fingers in the air and <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. And I always really deeply regretted that. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I, it just kind of came out of, out of the blue and I, I get a message from a name that looks really familiar from this company asking me if I am, am looking for work and I get it on Indeed. I get a text message and I get an email all in the same few minutes. And I went, do they know who they're messaging? And I'm like, well, I have their number saved in my phone. So they, they probably, you know, they're not dumb. They probably know who they're messaging. And so I just messaged back like, oh, I, I hope you're doing well. I, I am looking for work and, and it's a really nice job. I really, um, it's, uh, I, I have a lot of downtime there. So there's, you know, and it's, and it's really quiet there. So get a lot of reading done, prayer, meditation. Um, you know, I can, it, it's just really good quiet time. And, you know, I, I, I figured at, at a minimum, um, if this didn't work out talking to these folks that I could make an amends. Um, so when I'm talking to these people, um, there's hardly anybody that, that still works there from, from when, um, you know, my, from when I misbehaved there. And, uh, but there was one person. And um, so they offered me a position and I'm like, wow, this is, this is, this is working out really well. And um, I needed to, to clear up some paperwork and was having some hesitation on, on something I needed to sign. 
And the, and the one guy that um, I really needed to make the amends to called me on the phone. <laughs> and, you know, I said, I, I, I have an amends to make to you. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't leave there. Um, I, I didn't say very nice things. And I just want to tell you how sorry I am. And he said, it's water under the bridge. Don't worry about it. And I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'm super, super grateful to have another thing cleared up. Because while I wish that I wouldn't have behaved that way, I can't go back, go back and change the past. But the steps provide me with the best that I can do to try to clear that up. And um, yeah, it amazing experience. Every time I make an amends, I get super worked up about it. You know, of course I don't want to do it, but it, you know, it's, it's just good stuff. Isn't that amazing how it works? It's, it gives you a structured program to make amends and you're released from the bondage of self. It's like, I love that part. Mm-hmm. Darlene, did you get, did you make a lot of amends? <clears throat> you know what I, I did? I had, I did have to make a lot and more is revealed. And as more is revealed, I make additional amends. And I can tell you if um, everything goes well in April, you know, celebrating 19 years, I try very hard to keep my life in such a fashion that I don't have to make amends. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of making amends. So I'd rather just keep my street clean and do the best I can and not have to do that. But every once in a while, I get back in those old habits and I can have a wicked tongue on me. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Carrie, it was just a pleasure for you to join us this evening and to share your story with our viewers. And I think it's amazing and fabulous that. Um, you know, we touch a lot of people with God shots and it's not all about a roses and people sometimes can be in a dark space. They can be coming out of a dark space um, and think there's no hope, but you certainly gave the message tonight that there's all kinds of hope. If you're just willing to take the next step and the next step, um, the higher power, the universe, God, of your understanding, whatever you want to call the source is more than happy, as Lydia said, to come and play with us. <laughs> and I like that. Our dreams, if we stop being so negative, you are such a delightful, beautiful human being. I'm so grateful to have met you and I hope we can have you back. Same. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me on. Thank you for, thank you for sharing and thank you to all of our viewers for watching and we'll see you next time. Keep looking at the positive in life the upside. We love you very much. Have a great night, everyone. Okay. I'm going to shut down Facebook Live. Mm -hmm.